Okay. All right. Okay. Welcome to Ed Leaders, the podcast covering all the interesting ideas about leadership, strategy, culture, and the business of K-12 education. I'm your host, Luke Kelly, and joining me each week in the chair is my co-host and colleague, Matthew Irving. This week, we are privileged to be joined by John Burke. John is currently the principal at Bob Hawke College, one of WA's newest inner city high schools that opened this year in 2020 on the site of the old Subiaco Oval. Prior to this, he was principal at Burridge Secondary College, Headland High School in the state's far north, and also played a key role in transitioning Kunana Senior High School to Gilmore College, as well as a vast experience in the state's regions. So as far as to say, he has a wealth of experience in leading schools. So without further ado, let's get to it. John, welcome to the show, and thanks for giving up the time for having a bit of a chat with us today. To set the scene for our listeners, uh, tell us a bit more about you. Uh, why did you become a teacher and uh, why did you make the move from being a teacher into a school leader? I guess it's really interesting in some ways, Luke. Uh, maybe not so interesting in other ways, but, uh, but I was uh, certain I was going to be flying planes when I was in uh, year 10. So I uh, did the year 11 and 12, physics and maths and chemistry, uh, etc. Uh, and then halfway through year 11, uh, realised that my real passion was around uh, history in particular and, and the teaching of history. So. I don't remember it, but in my um, uh, my Leavers book from, uh, I'm reluctant to say it, but 1986, uh, my career goal then. It's like yesterday. <laughs> my career goal then uh, was to become a history teacher. Now, I don't remember writing that, but that's that's what's in there. So um, in terms of reasons uh, after that, I, I did an arts degree and then um, spent three years uh, working as a uh, stonemason's labourer, actually, uh, uh, just trying to work out where where I was going to end up and uh, halfway through that three-year period uh, decided to um, lock into teaching in uh, um, having a purpose that was wrapped around I guess fundamentally leaving the place better than you found it. Uh, so I don't know if I thought much about that as an 18-year-old, I certainly <laughs> thought more about it as a 24-year-old yeah. um, and that's been a real driver about being involved in education. How does that relate to you now in a leadership role of young people? and kind of that push for a 17 or 18 year old to understand that, but you yourself kind of realised it at 24. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think it takes a, a little longer for uh, young men as well than it might do for young women. That's just an observation. I think it was about 30 for me. That's <laughs> yeah. like that. I'm, uh, I'm, still, I'm still there. <laughs> so when we often talk to kids who are 15 or 16 and ask them what they want to do when they leave school, and of course, um, you know, I'm not 100% sure what I'm going to do when I grow up yet. So uh, it's a bit of a complex question. I think... Um, uh, you know, one of my heroes, uh, Haim Janot, talks about, um, uh, you know, if, you, if we treat people as we find them, then they'll end up where they were going to end up. If we, we treat people as they might um, become, then they can become the best version of themselves. And I think, uh, you know, we shouldn't expect 12-year-olds uh, or 13-year-olds to really um, know where they're headed or why they're here or uh, to have those big, big ticket items answered. I think it's our role in the years that we have them to help support them through that journey and you know provide focus around uh, ethical decision making and, and, and again being the best version of themselves. Mm -hmm. um, that's our, I think that's our charter. Mm. And, and John, you know, you've, you've kind of come to this idea and, you know, you've had a quite an extraordinary career starting in the sort of remote areas, moving all the way through to, to opening this new college. Um, you know, where do you see education going um, and where, where do we need to be spending some of our time? So it's a great question. Uh, so uh, my career started in Halls Creek, and uh, you know those those early years are really important for a number of reasons. But um, 
Uh, I met my wife while we were there. Uh, we had a couple of years in Mandarin. Obviously very important then. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, that's right. Uh, a couple of years in Mandarin, then back to Fitzroy Crossing where um, uh, we had our first child. So the whole uh, um, uh, public education journey across WA really has been our, our family's story. So as the kids have grown up, we've moved with them. So um, they were five. Um, the second young bloke was born uh, while we were in Mandarin. But we took the kids back to Port Hedland uh, for the first principalship and, and I've always looked through um, uh, the eyes of the schools that I've run uh, around, you know, what would it look like for Jack or for Mitch. Um, so Jack was uh, at Hedland Senior High and uh, and Mitch was in my wife's school at um, Port Hedland. So I guess um, the future of education, I, I heavily uh, resonate with their experience as, as kids in schools that I've run, but also, um, you know, we, what would I expect for them, what did I expect for them and what would I expect for the kids that are currently in our care? Um, I think we're in a really challenging time. Um, I'm very optimistic about uh, the future generally, but a really challenging time around young people and, and that notion of feeling um, uh, safe in their learning environment to focus on learning uh, rather than uh, the increasing anxiety that we're seeing from a number of kids at the moment. I think there's a large bit of work that needs to be done there. I think um, also thinking carefully about what school is so we uh, you know what what's needed in the next uh, 30 or 40 years isn't what was needed in the past 30 or 40 years but we're still often thinking about the classroom or thinking about schools uh, as we were a long time ago so I think there needs to be some really careful thinking about what these students will need to be successful uh, and how we might enable that in the classroom there's some real challenges uh, because uh, change is very difficult to enact um, and we have to have a big reason for doing it uh, and I think there's that big reason is there now. Do you feel like what your ideas of around education is and what, or what education is has changed from your first principalship to where you are now? Uh, I think I think in some ways definitely. Uh, the last uh, two years, it's two years since I was appointed in this role, uh, my thinking has grown expanded enormously. Uh, partly because of the time to think. So um, being offline for 18 months to, to vision what might be, uh, you get to think a lot about your work. Um, but I think the fundamentals are still there. So, you know, a big focus on uh, care and that the kids are in the centre of our decision-making uh, and that the context is super important. So we've got a limited number of kids that are below national minimum standard coming to us next year. Um, in Headland, it was 40% uh, of the kids. So. The way that we frame up and the context is important, but fundamentally, if we start from a place of care, that the kids understand that the people that are looking after them care for them, uh, and that we have a view of making sure that we we add to their story, whether it's about literacy and numeracy, or it's whether it's about their ability to think critically, or whether it's about their ability to make ethical decisions, that we add to that story, and we're, we're not just marking time, we're, we're actually you know, contributing to that whole child. So John, you're talking there um, for me about a, f a fairly strong vision um, for Bob Hawke in many ways, yeah. um, one of foundations, one of you know personal best, one of, of great care and a place of safety uh, for young people, but also that development of, of critical transferable skills like yeah. critical thinking and, and the like. I'm really interested in, in the notion of, of I guess, the, the, the settings, uh, both culturally and, and from a vision perspective mm. and values. Uh, you, you sort of described being appointed before the school was open. Mm. So how do you get the, the right cultural settings 
um, when you're, you're pretty much operating in a vacuum. You don't necessarily have a team around you when you start. How do you start establishing, I, I guess, that, that strong vision and also a, a vision for the type of culture you'd like to, um, I guess, uh, develop? It's a it's a terrific question because uh, uh, on appointment I, I turned up to North Metro Regional Office um, with a desk and and that's kind of it, right? And, oh. and uh, um, there's, there a lot, there's a lot. Start of school. <laughs> Off you go. Yeah. So there's a lot of support around uh, the department and the system uh, is is incredible in the the technical uh, infrastructure support that they provide. That's uh, very reassuring that schools open all the time. Uh, and there is that support. But in terms of the vision, there's a lot of trust in, in the principal and that appointment turns out to be uh, uh, super critical, not, not just for this school, but others uh, as, as well. And I, I guess the first thing that um, uh, I did, because I've got my beliefs about education, mm. so I'm not a chameleon and don't um, change with the wind, but um, what I did do is ask for uh, um, uh, two mentors that have helped me through my leadership journey to sit on my shoulder uh, and to act as critical friends as we uh, worked out what the um, the vision would be and the, and the we part of that. Uh, I'm held um, public meetings uh, for the six months between uh, July 2018 right the way through to December and, and spoke to over 800 uh, community members or parents about what their vision for what they wanted their children to achieve through secondary school was going to be. So really interesting conversations about um, the tin tax around would the would the school have a music program, for example? Um, you know, I was asked very early. You know, what uh, what's your policy on mobile phones? Uh, <laughs> it was just intriguing because yeah. you know, my my uh, my view personally is that kids should be able to use the technology um, uh, ethically and effectively, uh, and use it for good, not for bad, right? Um, and so I had this great prepared uh, response, um, but the parents were really emphatic. They just didn't want phones in the school, um, and that came from a place that I hadn't read, uh, as in it came from a place that they didn't want kids to be using their phones at recess and lunchtime. They wanted them to be talking to each other rather than using the phone. So that became, uh, ultimately, that's where our policy landed in the end. Uh, so it started in a different place, but through that consultation process, it, it, it changed. Um, things that uh, we take for granted, like swimming carnivals, very important to the community. Um, so the, the mechanics of what school is to the community is, is in that vision. Um, the, the actual way that we're going to behave with each other, that, that uh, largely came from, um, you know, learnt experience, uh, personal, uh, and then from reading about what makes effective organisations, not just schools, and, and trying to apply that in a, in a way that was going to um, mean that we were, we were going to be an effective organisation, learning organisation. So there's a terrific OECD paper that was released in 2018 that talks to that, and we've used that as a template since. But the, the, at the core of it is that we're a, a reflective organisation that continues to try to be the best version of ourselves uh, and and we don't leave things unsaid at the table um, that are important. So, um, you know, in a, in a nutshell, the community feedback, the, the opportunity to think about our work and, and work that had happened previously ended up with the vision that, that we've used to recruit. Um, and we're now into that next phase of um, uh, testing the vision uh, as we write our first business plan with the community. So, you know, that, that's changing and adapting as we've got staff on board and, and the community through the school board and the PNC are having uh, some input into that as well. So what's interesting for me then is is about your, I guess, 
your emphasis on sharing the journey. Yeah. And so those public meetings and connecting with 800 members of the community, having your critical friends, etc. It, it was a collective effort. You've, you've made some very deliberate steps. Knowing that you need to build that vision and, and that collective buy-in, you've put in very deliberate, I guess, steps to engage. Absolutely, and, it, and it's been a, and again, this is the learned experience, right? We, we very rarely make mistakes when we collaborate. Um, we, we manage the risk much better when we've uh, got people together to think about uh, an issue. Um, I think we make mistakes quite often when we act unilaterally. Um, so from a philosophical perspective, um, that's been a big part of my personal leadership journey. Um, and it comes at a cost because it's more difficult, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. it's not, not easy. And yeah. time consuming. And time consuming. Yeah, yeah. and, and you, you ask for feedback and you, you get it. So, um, and that can be disparate feedback at times that, that doesn't really align with what you're thinking. So um, how to manage that is, is really the uh, is really the question um, and how you, you bring people in and shape and um, and guide but also change when you do get great ideas that haven't been on the table before and, and to be able to consider those. You mentioned earlier about recruitment mm. and, and kind of bringing the staff along on a journey that fit within kind of your vision. How challenging has that been to kind of get that, that mix right? Yeah, the recruitment's really interesting. So uh, challenging time-wise, absolutely. Uh, um, but what a what a gift! We've um, we had uh, over 700 applications for our positions last year. Um, I think we're sitting at the moment at about 400 for 11 positions that we've advertised. We've just seen some amazing human beings put their hand up to come to the college. Uh, it's just and and the recruitment process that we've used is really not for it to be a guessing game. But the the JDF and the selection criteria. Uh, um, that they are what they are. We've we've had a set of attributes that we've. Uh, for each staff member that, well, for all staff, that we've run alongside that. So a set of attributes that talk about staff now having the need to be able to demonstrate care for kids and for each other. Um, they need to be invested in this, this. You can't want to come to Bob Hall College because you live in Wembley. It needs to be more than that. Um, uh, you need to be curious about learning and about learners. Uh, that, um, uh, and importantly, that uh, uh, we're asking people to have a sense of humour. Um, so uh, they might sound a little bit um, trite in some ways, but as it turns out, they just are critical to the success of the culture we're trying to achieve. Those, those attributes have been as important as the JDF in many ways. We can't consider them in the process, but we've been really upfront to say to people, this is the culture we're trying to achieve, and, and if these things don't fit, then consider whether we're the right place for you to come. Sometimes we talk a lot about teachers and learning themselves mm. and kind of like that not all teachers actually want to continue their learning journey. Have you found that through recruitment? Like that, that's oh, been a... It's been a really interesting week. So uh, the recruitment process has had a number of components, but the, the interview is a, uh, the applicants are given a task uh, four or five days out. Uh, and, and generally, depending on the context of the role, uh, for a teacher it might have been just let us know what your classroom looks like. And then we ask a series of questions afterwards, and that hasn't changed, and it's no, it's no secret we talk to aspirants uh, about that in our briefings. Um, and, and what that does for us is, is people come in and, and talk very genuinely about who they are and what their classroom might look like. Um, and then the questions that we ask are really about, you know, how do you manage inclusivity? Um, you know, if you have a disagreement with a colleague, um, you know, give them situations that they didn't respond to. And, and it's been a really neat process in that uh, as we've worked our way through it, you get a good sense of fit because there's good human beings out there that haven't been successful getting through 
our process, and that doesn't mean to say they're not great people or great teachers, they're just the fit that we're trying to establish at the moment, it's, um, it's not there. But in other cases, we've interviewed five or six people and all of them could do the work uh, for one position. So that um, it's been a really uh, privileged place to be in, and it's been an absolute privilege to listen to these people and their story over time. Um, I've heard uh, tales of uh, establishment schools and how the drain of doing the recruitment um, uh, is taxing. It's just been amazing, actually. Uh, and I've learned through the recruitment process from the people as they tell their stories. So not only has it been a great privilege in many ways, it's been a great joy oh, to, to get yeah. to meet people and, and, and also a great, um, a great privilege also to be able to shape your team mm. but shape it around that culture and vision. And, and for me, it sounds, you know, it's one of those unique opportunities that not mm. everyone gets, uh, but you certainly do when you establish a school. I wonder what other um, amazing opportunities have kind of come to, come to the surface, but perhaps you didn't realise they, they would be um, wonderful opportunities. I, th I think we're still in that stage. So, uh, you know, been on the recruitment, panel for every staff member that's been selected. So that's our essential services staff, school officers, education assistants, um, hygiene services, etc. and then teachers, associate principals. Um, and the, what's come with that is this, the skill set that we've asked for, but then there's been additional skills that have been within those uh, human beings and they've brought them to the college. So the opportunities that we considered around the vision and where we would be now have been added to by someone coming in with an amazing ability to do X, Y, or Z. So, uh, by way of example, um, uh, Alex, our digital technologies teacher, has really enhanced our ability to um, use technologies in the college in a really effective way. Um, and it's not that we didn't expect these people to be extraordinary, because they are. Uh, it's just that, in some ways, we, we didn't really understand what their superpower was. So, so it's kind of been really lovely to... And, and a challenge to enable them to use that um, ability in a way that we retain clarity and alignment with what we're trying to achieve. Mm. So we don't end up um, Christmas tree shopping uh, for a, you know the baubles on the Christmas tree, uh, that we do remain focused and, and committed to what we're doing, but we allow uh, freedom and expression within that, that context. And um, that's been one of the opportunities, but also one of the challenges as well. Yeah, um, and I, I guess um, with that comes that, that you know, you're in an evolutionary stage, mm. and so it's iterative, but also you need to shape it around um, that, that clear vision or strategy or you're just going to jump down rabbit holes yep. and be all over the place. And I think you sort of described that. Schools are very good at seeing the next shiny thing mm. and just sort of latching on that. But it sounds like that's been a different experience for you. Look, uh, again, mentors have been important in my personal journey and, and you take different parts, uh, different focuses from different mentors. And, and one, uh, uh, Phil White, and I'm, I'm not sure if Phil will be listening, but down in Melville, uh, you know, really strong about what's left of ARC and right of ARC. Um, so anything's okay in between, but let's try and make sure we've got a shared mental model of what, what's outside of the boundary. Um, and we're still working on that because uh, opening new schools is an ambiguous uh, journey. Uh, not everything is created, um, and that creation, in my view, needs to be done collaboratively and not landed before people get here. Um, so you need the nuts and bolts. This is how we're going to manage um, curriculum. This is what we're going to do with teaching and learning. This is what we're going to do with behaviour. But within that, um, there needs to be a, a review process where you can add on to that experience, work out what the kids need as well, which is really critical, right? Because you can look at the data for the kids that are coming in, but they're, they're actually very different, um, as all kids are, different than what you might have imagined from the, the um, desktop analysis. So um, the student needs and the staff needs and that development of culture, um, that's where the, the interesting work happens outside of what we thought might happen. Yeah. Yeah, wow. 
exciting. I guess you talked about having like an 18 month kind of journey before the school opened. What were some of the challenges that you saw throughout that, that phase? Not many people yeah. get the opportunity to be involved with that. Um, what were some of the unique challenges that you found in that process? Look, from a um, personal perspective, I think um, there's some things I do really well uh, and uh, some things I need to work really hard on and, and the discipline to um, really remain focused and stick to a timeline was just critical. So um, there, were, there were pressure points if we hadn't appointed a manager of corporate services, for example, uh, by the start of uh, February in 2019, uh, things like bank accounts can't be open. So, so the discipline about making sure we set up panels and processes so that we would have the net result of people ready to go um, uh, is something I've had to work really hard on and getting people on board that would complement the skill set that I've got uh, in areas that I might not have that was also critical. So the appointment of the Associate Principal of the Manager of Corporate Services uh, really was designed to complement the things that I'd didn't have, uh, and then to make sure that um, uh, the things that I thought I might be vulnerable in timetabling, for example, organisational structure of a school, a big school, um, we, we brought that expertise in very early. Um, so um, the other challenges, I think, really are about um, trusting your judgement and, and mitigating risk, particularly about appointment, uh, in that the, the more you uh, get external um, uh, feedback about what you're doing, um, the better off you're going to be going forward. Uh, and, and I certainly felt that on opening day, I, had, I didn't have any anxiety about whether it would be an effective school or not, because the people that we recruited through that process uh, filled their roles and executed that um, better than I could have imagined. So, uh, you know, the other the other thing about um, we're meeting with some um, primary principals this morning that are opening schools for next year and some of the advices around the mechanics of it. So, you know, get your recruitment processes lined up, um, get your um, uh, procurement of technology lined up. Um, think carefully about uh, the built environment, but don't dwell on the small decisions. Um, you know, think about the big questions about, and the impact that you can have on the built environment, uh, given that most of the decisions have been made before you're appointed, um, and focus on what, what you can change, not what you would like to change in some cases. So a little uh, dichotomy there between kind of like tangible things, but also being awareness of yourself and your own skills mm. potentially there. Look, I think it's critical. Uh, um, and you know how you know, know thyself, I guess, is the uh, <laughs> the question, isn't it? And how honest we are with ourselves about what we're good at and maybe what we we're vulnerable at. Uh, and I think that um, you know it's up for debate about whether I have that or not. But uh, I think it's a really good place to start uh, mm. because you can end up building a team. And, and we talked. Um, very early in the piece, we, we uh, um, contracted an organisational psychologist to work with the staff that were appointed first, and and a couple of things. Uh, I think that we all learned from that, as we were a small team of at that point uh, six. Um, that you know we, we're not trying to build human capital and have great people come to the college, which is almost a given. Uh, it's that social capital, so the the sum of the parts is greater than the individual pieces, and. Uh, that's super important and understanding how that we might work together. And then the other, the other piece around that was, you know, we talked about being disruptive, the, you know, disruptive as in there's now a school in the middle of Subiaco on what was a car park for the footy. Um, that's disruptive, right, uh, mm. by nature, but the, the organisational psychologist, you know, threw a challenge out and said, your, your disruption is likely to be, if you're successful in building a, um, a truly reflective learning organisation, that will be your disruption your disruption and that's 
that's uh, it was an interesting view, and I think we've tried to stick true to that to make sure that we do challenge each other about what we're thinking and what we're doing. Um, so that we don't do what we've done before. We do what, we do what's right for this context. And I guess, John, you've been talking a little bit there um, about you know almost let let things sort of um, develop organically, and so there's a, a Right, quite an important um, foundation here around being agile. Yeah. So you talk about sort of being disruptive and, and sort of letting the team lead different things, but there sounds like there's a need to, to have a culture of agility and being able to pivot and respond to not only the students that you have, but also the, the teachers that you have uh, here in the, in the college. Absolutely, and, and opening schools isn't for everyone. Uh, I was asked uh, <laughs> by a colleague how it was going, it's great, but I'm never going to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> The one time pony. <laughs> well, I, th I think for me, and it might be different for others, but I, um, you know, I don't want to um, gild the lily and, and stretch the metaphor too much. But I've got two young men, uh, boys that I'm, you know, incredibly proud of. Um, but there has been elements of opening a school that aren't unlike having a child in some ways. In that, uh, there's this investment that it just can't go wrong because this is just so important. Um, and again, I don't want to draw a comparison between my boys and and. Uh, the college, but there it, it does require an enormous amount of personal commitment, investment, and all principalships do. There's no question about that. Um, uh, but this one has, has certainly been a, a labour of um, yeah, of love. Mm. We we often talk in leadership that you know at your level as principal that this is not a job; it's actually a lifestyle. Mm. It's seven days a week, yeah. and um, it is full investment. You know, um, and and for people that perhaps haven't been in that role, it's very hard to kind of conceptualise. What might you say uh, about that? It, it's um, it's really interesting because I I think uh, as I've gone through my career from a um, head of learning area uh, to a deputy principal to an associate principal to a principal, um, I've always had a sense that the next step up was going to be pretty tricky. And whilst I might not have known what my principal was doing as a head of learning area, it kind of looked like it was pretty complicated. Um, <laughs> and so I don't think um, I don't think you need to know the nuts and bolts of what happens at at that level, just to uh, appreciate the complexity of it, because it is it is complex because there's more moving parts. So um, you have more human beings to deal with, um, uh, and you have uh, greater responsibility. Uh, you know, the, the um, every every uh, success of the college is um, due to the, the the staff that we've got and the community that we've got working here. Um, every failure is, uh, of course, the principal. So. Uh, <laughs> Uh, like the head coach of footy team. <laughs> that's yeah. it, that's it. And you kind of understand it, and it's important that there is someone who's accountable for for that um, end-of-line responsibility. I think the um, the other thing that we do at a principal level sometimes, I'm critical of myself and of, of colleagues, would be to, to uh, focus on the things that are difficult about it uh, when it is just the, the best job in the world. I mean, the, the, the ability to shape and change a college, um, you know, so that, so that kids are humanised, that not dehumanise that the um, the community is welcomed in that staff feel freedom to do their craft practiced within a set of you know left of arc and right of arc. I think the the opportunity that provides is just incredible. Like we've just been really lucky to do this work. Um, I think um, recently there's been um, you know a reluctance for some to apply for principals roles, and I uh, if if the work is for you, there can't be anything better to do. Um, in that. It's super rewarding, super challenging, and um, and it matters. Like it, 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 it matters. So, for every kid in this college, or 274 of them, there's not a parent that doesn't want the best for their child, and they've put them in our care, and we need to deliver on that. 
uh, and it will matter for each of those kids as they come and enrol in the college. So I'm really interested, obviously, earlier this year, brand new school, new facilities, new kids, new teachers, a couple of months in, COVID hits. Yep. What did that reveal about your team that you'd put together? We've talked about uh, average age is relatively young, so our profile is about 37, I think, and that includes really old people like myself who <laughs> sit on the other side of 50. Uh, like everyone's young at the moment, right? <laughs> but uh, what it showed is the ability and the capacity to be agile and to change. So, you know, we were uh, closed on uh, the Thursday before Good Friday, uh, and um, about a week later we got the notion that we'd be open again at the start of the, uh, the school term. So everyone's left thinking one thing and come back doing another, um, where that agility in their thinking has been quite remarkable. And then the, the, the use of technology equally. Um, you know, you won't go into a classroom here where the, the, the boards aren't being used, the, the staff um, uh, tool isn't being used, the kids are around about, I would say, about 60 to 80% of the day using their devices, um, not as um, uh, minding tools, but as learning tools. And I think that for me, uh, has been one of the learnings that you know, when you're in an existing school and you're trying to change and put in a BYD process or um, uh, ask teachers to, to change the way they use technology in the classroom, uh, that has been an absolute gift. Uh, the, the infrastructure as well in and of itself has made that, um, has enabled that, but it's been the, the capacity of the staff uh, to respond. So the COVID piece is an ongoing challenge, there's no doubt about it, um, but I think in our college, the, the context was important in that we had small numbers of kids and a large site built for a thousand. So that was a gift in itself, but the way that the staff managed that was just uh, incredible, really. Um, in terms of where we go from here, I think there's a, a lot of, um, we're better at connecting with parents at home from school, uh, using technology to do that, uh, without question. And I think one of the legacies will be about change. So. Um, you know, this is where we are now, but we might not be there in January. So let's let's think about what might be. But if it doesn't happen that way, let's think about how we might respond to what comes up. Uh, in some ways, that's uh, really terrifying. In other ways, it's really uh, uh, positive to to know that we can do that. John, you talked there about uh, legacy, and mm. I just want to pick up on that. If if I'm a, a student that leaves here in five mm. years' time, what, what would you hope that they would say about their experience here at, at Bob Hawke College? Yeah, it's a great question. So uh, I'd love them love for them to say that they felt safe um, and that you know that whole zone of um, uh, proximal learning that they they were pushed they were challenged but they were safe to learn and they felt that that was a, a, a experience that they had every day that they were here I'd like to think that they uh, felt that they were cared for and I'd like to think that they felt that they had they were the best version of themselves as a result of coming to this school so um, the school provided opportunities that enabled them to um, yeah, to do what they wanted to do. Uh, we want them to be ready for um, adult life. Um, you'll see a transition in the way that they move around the campus or the community as we go into senior school. Um, uh, we think that a large number of the kids will continue on with their study, whether that's um, uh, through vet programs or through uh, tertiary studies, so we want them to be ready to be successful in that space, and and that's what I'd like to hear from them that they were ready to go, as a result of the great work that their parents do, obviously, but the school contributed in a big way for, for them to be, um, you know, ready to go for the the world that's going to face them. Changing topics for a second, I read uh, that you took a course at Harvard 
I'm a bit of a Harvard lover, so I do want to ask a question about Harvard and how you found that experience. Yeah, so the, the education department's got uh, a fellowship program where pretty much every two years there's 20 principals that are selected to, um, to go to Harvard, but the experiences are wrapped around, the Harvard piece is really important, I'll, I'll come to that, but it's also wrapped around uh, on return you need to do a project of uh, systemic value. Um, uh, you're also uh, mentored by a member of our um, corporate executive, and and there's also uh, uh, an online um, three months learning program that you do collaboratively with the people you went to Harvard with. So, are quite arduous the follow up, uh, and the, the ten days in Harvard itself are just amazing, really. So, twenty colleagues from primary, rural, remote uh, schools um, on the same plane, um, embedded for ten days in Boston. Um, having amazing um, people talk to you, followed immediately in a lecture style, followed immediately by a um, uh, a, a session with uh, 12 principals from across the world that are attending the same learning uh, to talk about the problems of practice that might have emerged from the lecture you've just experienced. So rolling through days of that um, and being immersed together, I think is a really important part. Um, the learning for me, uh, I came away a much better version of myself from that experience uh, and a much better principal without question. Uh, and the, the challenge and the, um, the, the melting pot of ideas, um, but also the, the honesty that's required in that environment. Um, you know, we, we were told before we went, we managed to speak to someone who had already gone through that process from Victoria and just said, if you can just say on day one, you're gonna be as honest and open as you possibly can. Uh, you'll get so much more out of it than if you wait until day three or day four to, to get into that space, and that was great advice. Um, the ongoing connection with those 20 people we went away with, um, they're not just colleagues and a part of the public system, they're, they're friends and mentors, so I would talk to one of the 20, as in one of the 20, but all 20 over the course of a term, uh, as, as a matter of course. Um, so it's a collegiate network, um, professional learning and then this notion that we have ongoing learning from it. We're, we're pretty tight as a group. And I know that's happened with each of the groups. So that's gone away as well. So pretty valuable experience, oh, really. Absolutely. Like, and it survived uh, a change of government um, and a change of minister. So, you know, this is uh, an important part of work for the system. There's now been 80 principals that have had that experience. Very, really significant um, investment uh, in in the department's people, um, but from a personal perspective and from a learned experience, uh, perspective as well have been really valuable. John, uh, on our program, uh, Ed Leaders, we often talk about aspirant leaders. Yep. And I wonder what advice you would give to a teacher that, that aspires to be a leader. Yeah, so I think about John Burke in Halls Creek in 1994. Um, so at that point, I think I was going to um, work for 12 months and then go overseas again or something similar. Um, the, the thing for me would be to say, uh, every experience you have, uh, is going to be a learning experience and will inform you as to whether that leadership is for you in a, in a context of an educational setting. Um, I, I would uh, say surround yourself with people that um, are good human beings uh, and, and that behave ethically. Uh, it's really important that, um, uh, that I think we, we do get t uh, sounding boards that are, are going to give us feedback when we um, might have made mistakes or when we've done really good work. Uh, I'd say have a plan. So wherever you are now, think about where you want to be in five years' time uh, and get advice about how you might get there. 
uh, and be open to getting feedback that might not be positive uh, and might be challenging and might need you to consider whether that's for you. Um, and the reason I think that five-year plan is important uh, is that for most of my career, the early part of my career, meandered around with opportunities coming my way and me taking them rather than planning to become, for example, a, a deputy principal in Fitzroy Crossing in my fifth year of teaching wasn't something I had aspired to or even thought was possible. Um, so rather than meandering and things happening by accident through repeated good work, which I think is a, is a criticism that could be laid at um, uh, education from the 90s and into the 2000s, really have a plan and connect to the resources that are there to help you. Um, the department now has this uh, strategy around identifying leaders, you know, identifying talent, uh, which is important, um, and then getting a pathway for that talent to grow and, and be ready to be public school leaders. And I think that for me is a much better model that we have now than what we had before. Um, but some of those elements are still the same. Uh, surrounding yourself with people that you you respect their work and think that their work is work that will be similar to what you're planning to do, I think is a, a critical component of that. You've talked there about kind of the mentor aspect of, of learning, something that we've talked about before is a bit of like what we want to learn next. Yep. What's next for you on your learning list or your journey of, yeah. of learning? That's, that's a really great question. So from a personal perspective, uh, at a micro level, at a student level, I'll start there. It's around uh, uh, the notion of how we might support kids with anxiety uh, and particularly those that, that anxiety manifests itself in self-harm and uh, behaviours that uh, are really not productive, um, as in school withdrawal, etc. I think uh, I would... I think the focus for me from a um, perspective of supporting kids is there's some work that needs to be done there. I think from a, um, a school level, from a whole school level, it's, it's around continuing to be um, uh, very belligerent around this learning organisation and being reflective. So continuing to, to develop my skill set about what that might look like and how you might enable that um, within your college uh, and, and what that means for my relationship with my staff and the relationship with staff and each other uh, and staff and parents and staff and kids. Uh, because I think that that whole reflective organisation where kids are giving feedback to teachers, to principals, parents are giving feedback about the climate of the college and that staff are giving feedback to the principal about the culture that's emerging, I think is going to be really important. And, and the decisions that we make collectively and the, the direction that we take um, will be informed by that work. Hmm. All right, uh, John, I really want to say thank you for giving up your time today. I think that uh, I've learned a lot. I'm not sure about you, but I'm sure you have too. Absolutely. I'm, I'm scared if I ever have to, uh, <laughs> to establish a school, but what a great opportunity, and, and uh, it's been great to hear from you today. Terrific so. to have the chance to talk to you both. Thanks, John. Remember, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the show at edleaders.com.au, and we'll catch you next week. Go well. Okay.